We're so glad you've chosen to tune in to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Eric Roges, and I'm the Executive Pastor. Today, we'll be learning from Mark chapter 9 as we continue in our series, Masterclass. As Jesus' disciples matured, he began to reveal to them the bigger picture of his ministry on earth. He did not come simply to heal ailments and give wise instructions. He came to sacrifice himself for our eternal salvation and the atonement of sins. The fact that the Son of God came to us to die was difficult for his disciples to understand at first. But Jesus' life, teaching, and message made that truth one of hope, direction, and salvation to them as they continued in their ministry. Now, let's open up scripture to see the bigger picture together. So what is something that you're really good at that somebody else may not be as good at, okay? Uh, what, just think about something. Maybe there's things that we all have that we do better than other people and things that other people do better than us. Maybe it's a natural-born talent. Maybe it's some skill that you have learned over time, something that you have an educational background. And whatever the case might be, I'm sure that we all have those things that we can do and we have mastered that no one else may have mastered. And so in honor of Father's Day, I thought I would start with a few things that I know some of you guys are really, really good at. Okay, some of the things that you're really, really good at. Some of you guys could literally teach a master class in like smoking brisket. I mean, you're so good at it. And the ribs, the brisket, the chicken, and I'm here for it. Okay, I mean, I'm literally here for it. Some of you bring it to me, so I welcome it. If you smoke brisket and don't bring it to me, I'm only slightly offended. So um, just you know, some of you are really, really good at that. And some of us just go to Martin's, you know, or whatever the case might be, but, but depending on your skill set, I'm always happy to be your taste tester with that. Some of you guys have arrived when it comes to the lines in your yard when you mow. And you know those lines. I'm proud of you. I see it. I drive by your house, and, I, and you're doing a good job with your yard. Now, whether or not you can keep the lines in your yard or not, I think that we can all agree, for all of us men who mow our own yard, there is something that we have all mastered, and it's what I like to call the stare. And the stare is when we're done mowing the yard and we stand on the back deck and we gawk at our work. And you know it. You know it. Some of you ladies are like, what is he doing out there? Just leave us alone. It's what we do. Okay? When we do a good job on something, whether you told us it was great or not, we stand and we gawk at it. Because it's awesome. The next morning we get a cup of coffee. We go back to the back deck again to look at it a little bit more just to see what has grown overnight. Um, the stare always follows mowing. Some of you are really good at games. You have a knack maybe for a, a, a sport or some kind of trivia or competitive drive, whatever the case might be. Uh, let me introduce you to my wife. This is my wife. Uh, and she is the best trivia fiend I have ever seen. In fact, if you're putting together a Nolansville quiz bowl and you don't have my wife on your team, shame on you. Um, I mean, we win trivia everywhere we go. Uh, that's just the, the reality. I mean, she hardly forgets anything, which is awesome. You know, when you have a trivia, uh, a trivia you can remember all these amazing facts. In fact, uh, I, I would consider myself, uh, you know, pretty skilled in some of those things but I cannot hold a candle to her in these games. In fact, have you guys ever like won anything off the radio, ever been like the seventh caller or whatnot? Okay, well, we win all the time, okay? So um, we have won concert tickets, gift cards, uh, gas cards, which would come in really helpful right now, um, all kinds of things. I mean, we had to go to Nashville this weekend because we had a gift card we had to pick up from a radio station because not only is she mastered the art of being the seventh caller, which is a skill set that we are not going to tell you how to do because... <laughs> It's a little family secret, um, but she also knows the answer to the questions whenever the DJ picks up the call. We all have those things that 
come natural to us that may not come natural to someone else. Maybe you have a recipe, one of your grandma's old recipes, and you try to make it and it tastes nothing like your grandma, and you're thinking, I did everything the same, everything that she wrote. What you don't know is she left something out because she didn't want you to replicate it. (laughs) And you're sitting there thinking, I'm trying to do this, or two people can have the same set of golf clubs, and one person hits it right down the fairway, and the other person ends up in the weeds every time. Why can I do it, and you can't, or vice versa? But here's the truth this morning that you're going to see in this text. As David already alluded to, we're going to Mark chapter 9, and in Mark chapter 9, you're going to see on four separate occasions a behavior that Jesus is calling out in his disciples. And what he is calling out in his disciples is something that comes so naturally, so easily to all of us. You all have a part in this story this morning because what Jesus shows us in Mark chapter 9 is something that all of us are guilty of. All of us are naturally born experts in what we're going to talk about today. And what we're headed on, or where we're headed towards, I should say, is this whole concept that you and I have of we tend to kind of be experts in making everything all about us. I'm the expert in making life all about me. I jokingly like to say, sometimes I look at the world through Jason-colored lenses. And you look at the world through, insert your name, filtered lenses. And I'm not here this morning to make you feel bad about that at all, but maybe just maybe there's a bigger picture that Jesus is wanting us to see in Mark chapter 9, that life really isn't all about me, and that I miss something when I make life all about me, that there's something about Jesus that I miss whenever I kind of only look at the world through my filter. So the reality is we're all really good at being wrong in where we're headed this morning. We are all experts in knowing how to do this, but it doesn't mean that we have to stay there. And so my hope and my prayer is that God would show us something that we would walk away with today, not the same. We would knock away different. And then we would walk away saying, God, I want to grow and I want to understand that bigger picture of what it is you want to accomplish in my life as I seek to grow in you. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this day. I thank you for each and every person who's here. God, we just give this morning to you. And we thank you for all of your blessings. Thank you for a powerful morning of worship. Thank you for the community that we experience. Thank you for an opportunity to now dig into your word. I pray that you would change us, that you would shape us, that you would mold us, make us more and more like you. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen. And amen. So we're in this series called Masterclass, and what we're doing is looking at the Gospel of Mark for the entire summer. And as Pastor Jeff alluded to last week, last week was the kind of midway point in Mark chapter 8. So not only is it the halfway point, but something happened in Mark chapter 8 that hadn't happened yet in the first seven chapters. And this is where Jesus identifies to his disciples what he's going to do. And ultimately what he's going to do is die for them, die for the sins of the disciples and die for the sins of all mankind. And so it's the, it's the crux of, of, of the gospel. And so everything after this has to be built on the fact that Jesus has identified already that he's going to die and that he will be resurrected three days later and that all the sin of mankind, past, present, and future, will be resting on his shoulders and he's going to the cross for us. And so just to kind of make sure that we are there and that we're using that as the jumping off point for where we're headed in Mark chapter 9, I want to read to you just a little bit of Mark chapter 8, verses 29 through 33. You're going to see it up here on the screen. But again, this is kind of the the diving board, if you will, from where we're headed in Mark chapter 9. So it starts with Jesus posing a question to Peter. And he says, but what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. 
He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So Peter says to Jesus' question, I know that you are the Messiah. And then Jesus very plainly and very explicitly tells his disciples what's going to happen. I'm going to die. Three days later, I'm going to be raised from the dead, which was the express purpose for which God sent him. And so what does Peter do? Does Peter just accept it and say, yay? No, Peter pulls him aside and rebukes him. I mean, that takes some gall to pull Jesus aside, the one you're following, and say, "Mm, Jesus, you shouldn't say that in public. To which Jesus very kindly and very compassionately and very lovingly looks to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Because you do not have the concerns of God in mind. Rather, you have the concerns of man. What are we all guilty of? Who do we like to make life about? Me, myself, and I. It's exactly what Peter is doing here. Because he doesn't have the mindset just quite yet. He's close, but he doesn't have the mindset just quite yet what Jesus was fully wanting to accomplish. And so Jesus tells him, no, this is my purpose. You are acknowledging that I am the Messiah, but Peter and the other disciples, they were raised in the first century where they were just expecting the Messiah to look differently than Jesus. And so they were still not fully there. And it's why Jesus continues in Mark chapter 8 and says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross daily, deny yourself, don't make life all about you, and follow me. And that's the continuation of where we head into Mark chapter 9. In fact, look at Mark chapter 9, verse 2. After six days, so this is six days after Jesus has referred to Peter as Satan. Okay, so six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led him up to a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. So Jesus invites Peter, James, and John to go up on the mountain. And at the top of the mountain, this process called transfiguration happens. Jesus was transfigured. And after the transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appear. And Peter wants to build shelters for everyone. And the disciples still don't understand what raising from the dead means. And so this word transfiguration is a word that you probably don't use that often. And it begs the question, what does it mean? What's going on here? What's this all about? What was the purpose? Why is this important? Well, when you go back to the original Greek language, which the New Testament was written in, And you look at the word transfiguration, the Greek word for transfiguration is literally metamorpho, metamorpho. Now, what English word sounds like metamorpho? Metamorphosis. It's a complete transfiguration from one to another. I mean, we're talking caterpillar to butterfly kind of stuff here. Tadpole to frog, which, I mean, how can you look at a caterpillar becoming a butterfly and believe there is no God? I mean, that's amazing that that happens. It is a God-created metamorphosis process. Well, in this transfiguration, though, Jesus is completely transformed from what the disciples had seen because they saw Jesus walking up the mountain fully man. They knew he was fully God, or they had been told that, but they saw him walking up the mountain fully man. They could touch his skin. They could hear his voice. 
But on top of the mountain, he becomes dazzling white. He was fully God, but this is a moment for them to see, and God is providing Peter, James, and John a moment to see there is no question this is not just a man. Now, reverse, what has happened six days prior? Peter rebukes Jesus for saying, I'm going to die. Peter says that can't be true. To which Jesus said, you don't have the things of God in mind. And then on the mountain, Peter is given the full picture of this is God working through Jesus. This is in direct response to what the disciples were questioning. It's at the heart of the matter, the condition where they were. And it hits at the heart of the matter for us today as well. And you see this here on your screens. That this is what God's trying to get us to understand, that Jesus is fully God. He's not just an ordinary teacher. Jesus is fully God. He's not just an ordinary teacher. And you have to grapple with this truth just like Peter, James, and John did. It's at the heart of being a disciple. It's at the heart of being a follower of Jesus. You can't be a follower of Jesus and a disciple of Jesus and believe that Jesus is just an ordinary teacher, that he's just a good moral figure. Because there's kind of this line of thinking in, the, in society right now that Jesus is just a really good moral figure. Well, no, good moral figures kind of give us quotes and leadership axioms and books. Good moral figures don't give us their life. Their lives aren't sacrificed for our shortcomings, but Jesus's was. And so it says in verse 5 that when Jesus was transfigured, it frightened Peter, and he didn't know what to say. So instead of just being in the moment, he says, let's build a shelter for everyone. To which God speaks through the cloud and says, these are my words, not God's words, to which God speaks through the cloud and says, Peter, go ahead and cancel your Home Depot lumber order. We don't need people building shelters up here on the top of this mountain, but rather God says, pay attention to Jesus. Listen to him. Listen to him, not only now, but listen to him with your life. And as I've been studying this this past couple weeks, I've come to grips with the fact that a lot of us are like Peter because something incredible happens. We're in the presence of God. Maybe we're in a powerful moment of worship, maybe in this room, or you're in a Holy Spirit-filled moment sitting in your home, and God is so present, and God is so real. And instead of just staying in the moment, what do we start doing? Chat, 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 chat. And our busybody nature kicks in, and we start saying, oh, I need to build something right now. It's clearly not enough to just stay put. My type A personality kicks in, and I say, oh, we need a shelter. We need this. We need that. We need to start doing something. And God is saying, just be still and listen to Jesus. Don't rush through this moment. Don't rush through the presence of God. We tend to just rush on to the next thing. And God is saying, stop and listen to Jesus because he is the one that's going to change your life. And he's the one that's going to change the world. And so as we scroll on to verse 14, they have now experience this transfiguration, and they've come down off the mountain. And starting in verse 14 through 24, so when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with him about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashing his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring this boy to me. So they brought him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. And he fell to the ground, and he rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. 
If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And so when the disciples, Peter, James, and John, are coming off the mountain of transfiguration, they're met by a crowd of other disciples. There's religious leaders. There's Pharisees. There's people who are trying to always, you know, um, catch Jesus and always trying to, you know, to find Jesus in some kind of a lie. And in the midst of all that, there's a dad and there's a son. And the son's in need of healing, but an argument has broken out in this group of people. And this is what the argument is about. The argument is about why the disciples can't heal this little boy. And the father brings him to Jesus and says, if you can do anything, Jesus, please take pity on us, to which Jesus gives us what I think is one of the clearest indicators of what is possible through Jesus. Look at verse 23. Jesus says to him, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Everything is possible for the one who believes. You see this here on your notes, but Jesus specializes in doing immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. In your mind right now, whatever you think Jesus is capable of doing, he's capable of doing immeasurably more than that. He can do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. I don't want to stand up here on the stage and assume that I know anything about what's going on in your life because I don't. I don't know what is staring you down right now. I do not know what's standing in front of you. But it might be a diagnosis. It might be an illness. It might be a broken heart. It might be a marriage with divorce papers in hand. It might be a wayward child. It might be an anxious heart. It might be an empty bank account. It might be any number of things that are going on in your life right now. But what Jesus says is that everything is possible for the one who believes. Everything is possible. Do you trust that truth this morning? Do you trust that everything is possible for the one who believes? Well, look at how the father of the son responds. In really dire circumstances, listen to how the father responds. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I love this prayer. I love this statement from this father back to Jesus. In fact, you'll see it here on your notes. But I think that help me overcome my unbelief is often the starting point of a miracle. So if you've ever prayed the prayer, if you've ever wanted to pray the prayer, help me overcome my unbelief, it is highly possible that there is a miracle in the making. Help me overcome my unbelief. I believe, God, that you are who you say you are, so give me faith to overcome my unbelief. What a beautiful place to start when you've got obstacles staring you down. To say, God, I believe in you. I know you are who you are, Jesus. Help me where I am struggling. Show me that you are here. Remind me that you are close. And this is just one of many stories in the Bible where a miracle started, a miracle came to fruition because of a humble prayer, because of a prayer that sounded like, I know, Jesus, that you are real. Help me to overcome my unbelief. So if you're here this morning and you would say, I'm a struggler, I'm struggling to know, can Jesus really be trusted? Is Jesus really capable of doing anything? Let me say, if you're struggling, you are in really good company with all of these stories of Scripture. You're an amazing company because what Jesus wants to do is he wants to make himself known to you. Jesus literally says, come to me. He literally says, come to me, and I will give you rest. Come to me, bring your faith, bring your unbelief. And so the boy is healed. The boy is healed. Now, what's the response of the disciples? We would assume that the response of the disciples would be awe, worship, 
God, you are good. God, you are faithful. Man, this is awesome. We would assume that that would be the response of the disciples, but remember where we started today? What comes so naturally easy for all of us? Well, look at verses 28 and 29. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Why couldn't we do that? To which Jesus replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Why were we not able to do that miracle, Jesus? Me, me, me. See, it's only by prayer, and by some translations add the word fasting, that this kind of work happens. So see, your faith and your connection to me was not strong enough. It's as if Jesus is saying, you probably couldn't perform the miracle because you wanted to be recognized for the miracle. And because you wanted to be recognized for it, and because you were trying to make this about you, I just decided to realize that you're still a work in progress, and you still have some faith that you need to grow in. And so then they continue. Look at verse 30. So they left that place, and they passed through Galilee. And Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were, because he was teaching his disciples. And he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. So as they're journeying on to Galilee, Jesus reminds them again a clear prediction of his death. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised from the dead. They're going to bury me in a tomb. Three days later, I'm going to resurrect. I have been prophesied about. I told you once about this already. I've taken three of you up onto the mount for the transfiguration. Oh, don't forget the thousands of people that I fed with all the fish, the little fish and the loaves, all those miracles, the healing that we literally just saw performed. And the disciples are still unclear about what's happening, and they were afraid to ask Jesus for clarity about what he was talking about. Isn't it interesting that they literally just saw a father come to Jesus and say, I believe that you are Jesus, help my unbelief. It would stand to reason that that would have been their response. I know that you are Jesus, help us with our unbelief, help us with some of the things that we're yet to understand about what it is that you have accomplished But instead of asking for clarifying questions, they start this side conversation. And you may think, you may think the side conversation sounded like this. Isn't this awesome? Jesus is so good. Did you all see what he just did? I mean, I know only three of us got to go up on the Transfiguration Mount, but it was incredible. It was awesome. He was dazzling white. Did you see that? This miracle was great. Let's ask him for clarity. Look what he did to the dad who had unbelief. Jesus met him and he healed his son. You would think that that would be their response, that that would be what their conversation sounded like. Let's keep going. Look at verse 33. So they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he, being Jesus, asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. (laughs) Seriously? They kept quiet. Because on the path, they were arguing about who was the greatest. And sitting down in verse 35, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Their side conversation wasn't, let's see if Jesus will bring us clarity on this. Their side conversation sounded a little bit more like this. Dude, I could have totally healed that guy if Jesus would have given me a chance. Yeah, I'm actually one of Jesus' favorites. I got to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and you didn't, so he's clearly going to pick me. Oh, yeah, well, I got to hold his cloak one time on the way to Capernaum, so there's that. I'm clearly his favorite. And I'm quick to criticize. And I can make jokes about it. 
But when I look in a mirror, how quick I am to forget that I'm just like these guys. Just like them. Because I can very quickly go from one moment of saying, God, I want to be used by you. And please give me opportunities, God, to let everybody know how much you used me. God, thank you for all the resources that you have given me. Please give me an opportunity to let the world know how I used my resources for you. Or God, I thank you for the talents and the skills that you have given me. Please give me an opportunity to put those on display. God, thank you for being here in this moment. Thank you for changing lives today. And I also hope that people will say this is the best sermon they've ever heard in their life. Those things can be happening at any time in our mind and in our brain. God, thank you for providing us a new building, a place where our church can gather, a place, a beacon of hope for this community of Nolansville. But I also can't wait to show it off to a church that has a building not as nice as ours. Those things can be in your mind at any given time. So we criticize the disciples. But when I take a long introspective look at my own life, I realize sometimes I do the same thing. And maybe you do as well. Where you say, yeah, in the midst of the miraculous, in the midst of the beauty of God working in ways that can only be described by him, how quick I can take that and make it all about me. Or I can put my needs above the needs of everyone else. And so Jesus is getting at the heart of what it really means to follow him. And he doesn't shun them for this statement, but he continues to teach them. And what he teaches them is in verse 35, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and he said, anyone who wants to be the first must be the very last and the servant of all. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and servant of all. So you see this here on your screen, but what this means then is that Jesus' idea of importance and the world's idea of importance are not the same then. Jesus' idea of importance and the world's idea of importance are not the same. Dare I say Jesus' idea of greatness and the world's idea of greatness are not the same. Because Jesus says if you really want to be first, then you're last. If you really want to be great, then you will find ways to be servant of all. When you think about yourself all the time and when you think about yourself more than others, it's going to be really difficult for people to see Jesus in you because you're going to be filled with yourself opposed to being filled with Christ overflowing from you. But when you become a servant of all, like Jesus modeled, you understand what Jesus was about and the type of things that he wants us to be about. Now, I could stand up here and tell you story after story of how I've seen this played out here at Rolling Hills. Honestly, I mean, I, I could, could keep you here till this time next year. Just story after story of God's faithful servants, not looking for any credit, not looking for any acknowledgement, not looking for any accolades, not looking for any awards. And they just faithfully serve and they faithfully put the needs of other people in front of their own. And um, it, it came to my mind two days ago. Two days ago, there was a family here in our church that, um, that, that lost a loved one. And a sweet couple here, and the husband had um, been diagnosed um, with um, dementia, and um, very quickly and very um, speedily, um, you know, his disease took over his brain, and it, it got really bad really quick, and he passed away a couple days ago. 
And um, as I was talking to um, this precious saint um, who had just lost her husband, um, and we were praying, and, and, and it was a sweet moment because he knew Jesus, and he's in a better place than we are now, and there's still pain and grief connected to that, however. And she looked at me, and she said, can I tell you something about my community group? And I said, sure, please do. And she said, I moved here, you know, a handful of months ago from, you guessed it, California. Um, <laughs> she said, and um, I realize that God is the one who brought us here because I needed to be surrounded with a group of people that were going to be able to walk me through something that I didn't know was going to happen. And she said, Jason, this group has been there every juncture with me, from the diagnosis to him being put in assisted living to being put in memory care to going to the hospital to now going to be with Jesus. And she basically alluded to the fact that she said, and I know that I'm going to be okay because of them. Because they're here for me. And I couldn't help but think to myself, those people in that group, some of which are in this room right now, <laughs> those people in that group, I promise you, they were not rallying around this lady so they would be a sermon illustration. They would die if they knew that I was using them as an example right now. They would be frustrated. They would say, we don't want the awards. We don't want the acknowledgments. We don't want the credit because we were just doing what Jesus would have done. And that was joyful. And that brought us life and that brought us peace. And you see what happened. And so I look at that group of people of which there are many in this room. And I would say, you know what? That's what I think is great. That's greatness right there. The world may look at that and say, oh, what a cute little Bible study group. I don't know what that was over there. Something fell. But um, we have a lot of kids on that side of the hallway, if you didn't know. The world looks at it and says, hmm, what an awesome little community group. And we look at it, though, and say, no, that's greatness. In fact, generally speaking, if you have to tell me how great you are, you're probably not that great. We're greatest, though, when we serve others. We're greatest when we put ourselves out there and say, I want to meet the needs of other people. I believe the greatest churches are serving churches. The ones who say, we're not going to sit idly by and let the needs of our community go unmet. We want to meet those needs. We're not going to sit idly by and see teenagers trafficked into the sex industry in Moldova. We're going to do something about it. We're not going to sit idly by and see pastors struggling on the Amazon River we're going to go and we're going to invest and we're going to do pastor's conferences and we're going to send people and we're going to let them know that there are other brothers and sisters who are there for them. I believe we're greatest when we serve. And what the disciples were trying to show Jesus is how great they were. They were trying to show Jesus how wise they were in their own power. They were trying to show Jesus how much they had to offer. And Jesus says, no, there's a completely different way. There's a different path that I have for you. Let's continue on. Mark chapter 9, verse 38 so then teacher said, John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. The hits just keep on coming. We saw someone doing something that wasn't sanctioned by you, Jesus, so we told him to stop. To Jesus says, do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah 
will certainly not lose their reward. What were the disciples thinking? They assumed that Jesus would be proud of them for stopping this unsanctioned miracle. This other guy performing miracles, he didn't go through the same training that we went through, Jesus. So give us a big pat on the back. We told him to stop that. We shook our finger at him and we said, don't you dare be going and doing things in the name of Jesus because you're not one of the 12. To which Jesus says, "Mm, no, I don't want you to stop that because if you're not against me, you are for me. John says, we saw someone driving out a demon in your name. He was not one of us. How dare another person that's not one of the 12 perform a miracle? And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to congratulate you for that righteous piety. Brother, I'm going to use this as an example to show you and the world that what I'm seeking to do is much bigger than you. So Jesus isn't giving them an attaboy, but Jesus is saying there's still more to learn. In fact, I, I kind of think in this moment that it's almost Jesus probably even wants to call him Satan as well, but he doesn't want to be known as the guy who calls all of his followers Satan. And so he's like, I mean, I've already used that with Peter. So they're not getting it. But now some 2,000 years later, if I think I'm the only one capable of doing ministry around here, I'm in for a rude awakening. If we think that Jesus is solely going to work through Rolling Hills Community Church and he's not going to work anywhere else in this town, we're clueless. If we think that America is the only place God is on the move, he's on the move here, but if this, we think this is the only place God is on the move, friends, it is time to expand your worldview because he is on the move everywhere, including here. And when I try to put Jesus into a box or I try to put Jesus into some kind of formula or I try to think that everything rises and falls with me, then I'm not growing in Christian discipleship. I'm growing in idolatry because I'm making life about me and I'm making life all about my needs and my wants and my desires. And I want to close today with this. When life becomes about me, I will always miss something that God wants to do. When my life is all about me, I will always miss something that God wants to do. I mean, go back to the text and look, Peter missed something when he rebuked Jesus. Peter missed something when he tried to build shelters for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah instead of just worshiping in the moment. The disciples missed something when they were arguing about who is the greatest Right on the heels of Jesus talking about his death and resurrection, the disciples missed something when they were trying to make sure that they were the only ones performing miracles. And in each of these instances, it's really not what they missed as much as as who they missed. And so my hope and my prayer is that all of us would make a commitment right here and right now to say, no matter what comes my way, I do not want to miss what Jesus is doing. And if I make life about me, I'm going to miss something. And if I make my needs more important than everyone else's needs, I'm going to miss something. If I make the world's agenda my agenda opposed to Jesus' agenda, I'm going to miss something. So let's not miss Jesus today. Let's be a church that says we don't want to miss what Jesus is doing. We don't want to rush through. We want to stay in his presence and allow him to speak and allow him to shape us and allow him to mold us. And so this morning, I want to have you just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. We're not going to have a song of response, but I just want to give you a second to just kind of be still. Because maybe you've made life all about you. And you would say, you know what, I I want to change that today. Or maybe you don't have that relationship with Jesus and you want that. Today could be the day. If we can pray for you, 
stick around after the service. If we can listen to what it is that you're going through, do us a favor and jot down something on a card so that we can be praying for you. Jesus is here. Jesus loves you, and Jesus wants to meet you here today. So God, thank you for this time to just be still in your presence for just a moment. We're grateful for your presence. And God, I pray that we would not miss what it is that you want to do today. And I know that if we make life about ourselves, we're going to miss it. So God, show us today a glimpse of what it is that you want to do. I thank you for the humble and faithful servants in this room that serve faithfully, that serve diligently, that serve with love and compassion. I pray that you would give all of us opportunities this week to be Jesus to other people. I thank you, God, for what you've done. I thank you for what you're going to continue to do as we seek to be faithful to you. We're grateful again for Jesus who's changed everything in our life, and I pray that we would have many, many opportunities to not only grow, but to share that today as we come in contact with others. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen. We're so glad you listened in on our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. We would love for you to share our content with the people in your life. Remember to hit the subscribe button so you never miss a sermon. Be sure to explore other great podcasts like the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're so thankful for you listeners. See you next time.